This is the Life Truth Network. Truth Exposed, Episode 49. Truth Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth. It's where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. Here are your hosts, Keith Heldsley and Nathan Caldwell. Hey, everybody. That's right. Uh, this is your host, Keith. You are listening to an episode of, uh, well, Quest for Truth. It's actually Truth Exposed, our uh, format that we do once a month where we take a deep dive into scriptures. We are now in the book of John. We're wrapping up chapter 13, which, uh, well, I won't say an awful lot uh, about it at the moment because we'll cover it pretty extensively uh, shortly. Uh, it shouldn't be a super long episode uh, as we round out this chapter, uh, but we do like to dig deep and uh, scratch through all the uh, the words that are there every word matters and every turn of the fees matters as uh, so you know the emotional tides uh, ebb and flow uh, through this scripture uh, anyway uh, we will be hearing from our usual cast of characters uh, of course myself our co-host Nathan Caldwell We'll add some remarks. We'll hear once again from our favorite radio Bible teacher, Javor McGee. Uh, he had his Bible ministry in the 1960s and 70s. He uh, went on to be with the Lord in the 1980s. And currently his ministry through the Bible ministries is still out there going strong. It can be heard worldwide. Uh, every day uh, through the week, Monday through Friday, uh, on the, the radio, his uh, entire collection of Bible teachings are uh, freely available on uh, Apple iTunes. This is where I uh, found them. Uh, they're out there posted. Uh, all five years of his Bible teachings are there. Uh, just hop on your favorite podcast directory and look up J. Vernon McGee or Through the Bible Ministries, and you will find him. Uh, so anyway, if you do happen uh, to be in the mood to do so, drop them a line, support them and and what they do. Uh, of course, we use his uh, uh, ed- on editorials, his commentary, that's what I'm looking for, commentaries. <laughs> of course, for reference, uh, for support, uh, we're in, in no way try to uh, claim it as our own. In fact, some, I, I do edit things because we often overlap and I, I just to prevent uh, a lot of redundancy. Uh, I, I do pay attention to that. Uh, but uh, anyway, with all that, giving credit where credit is due, um, I have much more I feel like I could say uh, to address our current political climate, but I will hold my tongue on that uh, because it doesn't really pertain to the topic at hand. Uh, this is going to be featuring you know, the, the beginning of Jesus' final discourses as he uh, spends some private time with disciples. And anyway, with uh, all that uh, foreshadowing here to come uh, of our main topic later, uh, we will get right into that uh, right after uh, a 
quick moment from some of the folks there at ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, where we are a member of, uh, along with great voices like the ones you'll hear right now. Now featured on the Christian Podcast Community, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to understand and live out its faith. I'm your host, Stephen Dew. I'm the preaching pastor at South Caraway Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right to today's episode. Can you answer the following questions for your children or for the person to whom you are witnessing? Number one, is the New Testament reliable? Two, can you explain the Trinity to me? Three, how is Jesus both God and man? And a slew of other questions you will be able to answer if you get Andrew Rappaport's new book, What Do We Believe? It will help you a ton. Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com, whatdowebelievebook.com. Main topic. All right, John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. It's not a real huge uh, passage, but it has a lot of meaning here. And it comes on the heels of after uh, you know, the upper room foot washing, Judas goes to do his thing after taking his uh, portion of the bread and wine. But from looking through some commentaries, what I've discovered is, which uh, whether I've known it before or not, at this point, uh, verses 31 to 38, commentators will say, might actually be a better place to break over into chapter 14, because from f- verse 31 uh, and on, it is part of this uh, long discourse that Jesus has in private with his disciples. But we're going to just read this as a precursor, and next time we'll get into chapter 14. Now, will you notice there's something else here, a new section now. Judas is gone, and our Lord now begins to talk to this man. And already at this time, sin is knocking at the door of the upper room, demanding its pound of flesh. Already the shadow of the cross has fallen over that little group in the upper room, and they're frightened. And now our Lord attempts to lift these men from the low plane to the high plane, from the here and now to the hereafter, from the material to the eternal, from that which is secular to that which is spiritual. And as he does, we're going to see he's interrupted, and that'll move us right into chapter 14. Actually, I think that chapter 14 begins right here. Now, will you notice verse 31? Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now, of course, when it says he has gone out, that means... Judas had gone out. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Uh, and it's, 
the beginning of the end of Jesus' life, his final uh, milestone uh, before the cross. And when, and because of this coming time, uh, his this pain in his future. But through that, it's it's his glorifying of himself. The glory of Christ is uh, that he died, uh, and the pain he went through. That's his glory. You usually think of glory with like halos or. Uh, shiny, sparkly things, but for Christ, what glorifies Him is the pain He went through, and He knew it was coming. and And by extension, it glorifies God. And we'll see this develop as we continue. And read verse thirty-two: God is glorified in Him. God will also glorify Him in Himself. And will glorify him immediately. All right, I I get annoyed by pronouns. <laughs> glorify him in himself. Um, uh, I suppose we could really rake a fine tooth comb over that, but you know, as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are three personalities, but they are one God, and so. As you know, God is glorifying Jesus, making him go undergo pain. His God is glorifying Himself. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. You see, the Lord Jesus now is moving into the spiritual realm. The Son of Man's going to be glorified, and Christ was glorified. Friends, in his death and resurrection, we need to recognize that. Now, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. And when this, all this glorifying of everybody being glorified happens, there's no wait time. They're not going to have to wander for 40 years in the desert. It's not going to take uh, 40 days and nights of rain. It's not going to take... Uh, whatever ordeal, uh, all these events are coming immediately. Now, in verse 33, Now he speaks to them, and he calls them little children. Listen to him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. He's saying to them, and he's speaking to them like little children. He says, I'm going to leave you. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, I remember back in John chapter 8, Jesus said much the same thing to the Pharisees. Uh, he told them, uh, I'm going away where I've come, you cannot follow. Now, in that case, I believe he also told them that they wouldn't have a part in the kingdom. Uh, they would uh, have no place with him. Now, Jesus is saying these same words to his disciples, where I am going, you cannot come. But 
Um, he's not saying they're not forbidden for following. We'll find out shortly. But the time is short. Uh, they will seek. Jesus will be gone, but they won't be able to follow. Have you ever had a, a loved one pass away? And then you reach for the telephone to call them. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can't call them. <laughs> They'll be seeking. They'll be reaching that telephone to pick up to talk to Jesus. But he'll be gone. And it'll be a time of grief because they can't follow. And again, you know, the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees, the disciples, or the Pharisees rather, had no place uh, in the kingdom. But the disciples would eventually follow, just not now. Uh, and let's continue on here. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But now that I'm going to leave you, I'm leaving you a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Unfortunate, we have some folk today that think that what he really meant is this, that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you're fundamental in the faith. Now, friends, I believe in being fundamental in the faith. I believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God. I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for the expiation of sin, that he died a substitutionary, vicarious death for the sins of the world, that he was raised bodily, that he ascended back into heaven, that he's coming personally someday to take his church out of the world. But I want to say this, and I want to say it very carefully. Believing those things don't convince the unsaved world outside. This idea today that if we're fundamental and if we believe the heavenly things, we can live like the devil down here. And we've got some in the church. They're mean. Oh, they're mean. They're gossipy. They are hateful. And they have evil in their hearts. May I say to you, friends, that's the reason the man on the outside's quit coming to church. It's the reason we're trying to go after him today and tell him, that these folk that act like that are not really believers. I don't think they are. I've asked pastors all across this country, what percentage do they think of their church members are saved? And I get anywhere from 25 to 75 percent. And I would say today that even in our good churches, you can only save 50 percent of them are actually saved. The others are as phony as a $3 bill. May I say to you, he says that he's going to leave. And the new commandment is that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And sometimes we forget, <laughs> love one another, love one another. How You can't be Christians if you don't love one another. How can you have all these hate crimes if you don't love one another? But there's a, did you notice the disclaimers? Um, do, you, do you notice the... Uh, the standard, do you see what real love looks like? Even as I have loved you. 
And people might say, oh, well, Jesus never said anything about the homosexuals. Well, he sort of did. But uh, in his not talking about them, he didn't talk about a lot of things that he could have talked about. And just the fact he didn't talk about it didn't mean that he was for them. And it's by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Remember, Tertullian says this, that the Roman government was disturbed about the church. They were growing by leaps and bounds, and they wouldn't even take a pinch of incense and put it before the image of the emperor, and they felt like they might be disloyal. And the spies went in and came back out, and this was the report they gave. It went something like this. These Christians are very strange people. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They do not have an image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus, who's absent, by the way, but they seem to be expecting him at any time. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. Now, if next Sunday spies came from Russia to see whether Christianity is genuine and they came to your church. Friends, what would be the verdict? Would they go back and say, my, how these Christians love each other? Well, you answered, I can't for you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. First of all, what he just said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. It was not advice. It was not a goal. It was a command. And to love each other was not the new part of the command. The new part of the command was the new standard of love. That you love one another what? as I have loved you. And I think they would more understand that phrase after the resurrection, when they remembered the crucifixion, his death. He loved them enough to die. He loved them enough, you know, to pay for their sin debt and mine and yours. That is the standard of love. To love as Jesus loved And our, we, we've got to try to do that. And I'm not sure any of us can truly do that to the perfection because we are not perfect. We are human. And we are flawed. But that is how people realize that we are Jesus's is when we love one another. The fellowship that we have you know, any church worth its salt, you go in and everybody loves each other. Now, no church is perfect. And there are churches with disputes and problems. But the general rule is you're supposed to love the people in your church. And the ones I have seen do. Let me back up here. And uh, repose a couple of questions here. What is the standard of this love that we're commanded to love one another? And what does that real love look like? 
of course, it's even as Christ loves us, but what does that look like? Uh, because people have a misconception of how Christ loves. Sometimes love involves being angry. Sometimes love has limits. Uh, sometimes we show our love by not being nice sometimes. You, you can't be caving in. But we shouldn't be mean about it. I'm thinking of, for example, sometimes you know, uh, you know the husband's supposed to represent Christ and the woman is supposed to submit in the relationship. But sometimes the woman kind of gets well, dumped on. Why? Because the husband thinks he might be loving her the way Christ does, but he's not. And if, if whatever uh, frailty the wife would have exposed to incur the husband's ire, <laughs> if the husband did it, he I'm sure he would expect to go to Christ and say, oh, please forgive me, I didn't mean it. Well, if that's the case, that he should also turn around and offer that back to his wife. Uh, the way Christ loves it, it doesn't give us free license that love the way we want. It's We need to study how did Christ love people? He called out Pharisees in no uncertain terms, but he showed tender compassion to oh, widows and orphans. Well, that is a blanket statement. <clears throat> well, let's go on. 35, by, by this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay, let me stop with that verse right there. We should have love for one another. And because we have love for one another, this is the sign. You know, you've heard the sign of the beast putting the mark on your forehead or your hand. The sign, the mark of Christ is that we demonstrate love. We show love, love as a verb, to each other. And so others should definitely see this love. Even outsiders should be able to notice it. Uh, love is our report card. It's not that love is simply found, but what kind of love do we show? In what measure do we show it? Now, if we don't show love, maybe we've had a bad day. It, it, it doesn't mean we're not a Christian. If you don't show love or if you have trouble showing love, what it just means is you're an immature Christian and you need to grow in that maturity. And hey, we're all works in progress. So, uh, so we should, if anything, uh, just because someone doesn't have love, we should help them develop that. As Christians, one Christian to their, before I go on, I do want to make this comment. This is talking about love towards one another, Christians. We should definitely, most certainly, if we gather hands around a circle where every one of us is Christians, we should not have any problems showing love to one another. Where the real problem comes is whenever you about face and you link arms and you face to the world, it's those people who have a hard time showing love. Now, we're, we're not exactly commanded to love them in the same way, but we are. Uh, because, But we should see you know, those walking dead out there, the zombies of the world, as Christ does, uh, there are people who haven't come to know him yet. And we are those walking zombies ourselves, if it weren't for Christ 
if it wasn't for Christ in us, we would be just as horrifying as those walking dead out there. But we need to love them like Christ loved us and see them in the loving way Christ sees them. Not everybody out there in the world is going to believe you. They're not going to hear you out. They're going to hate you. They're going to do and say mean things to you, maybe even hurt or kill you. But they have no power over your eternal soul. And we should pray for those who persecute us. We are to love those who are our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, loving your enemy is different from loving a friend. Uh, I don't have to, like, be all buddy-buddy with the enemy, but I should at least have enough compassion over them or respect. We'll call it that. How about that? We should at least... Let me soften this some respect our enemies. <laughs> but we are definitely called to love one another, Christians. Anyway, let's go ahead and go on here. Now, Simon Peter heard our Lord talk about going away, and but that's all he heard. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now, this is verse 36, by the way. Simon Peter, our Lord treated him as if he's juvenile. I personally believe this man never reached the age of mental and spiritual maturation until the day of Pentecost. In fact, I think he was rather childish again and again, always blundering. And he asked the question that only a child will ask. Where are you going? Now, he didn't hear anything about loving one another, but he heard a great deal about the fact he's going away. I remember years ago when my daughter was just a little girl, well, when I'd get ready to go on a trip, she'd always say, Daddy, where are you going? That's the first question. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now but you will follow later. And then the second question that a child asks is, may I go with you? I want to go with you. And that's what my little girl would say. And the Lord Jesus treats him as you treat a child. He says, whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now, not now, but afterwards. Now, little Willie comes home from school. His mama's baked some cookies. And he said, Mama, can I have a cookie? She says, Not now, but after dinner. Now, little Willie doesn't care about after-dinner speeches, and he doesn't care about after-dinner cookies, but he wants them right now. And now, here, you know, Peter asked the same question that the Pharisees asked back in John 8. But here, Peter has the benefit of asking Jesus to his face directly, Where are you going to go? And the Pharisees, they wanted to know too, but they huddled together and they uh, argued amongst themselves. What is he talking about? Is he going to commit suicide? What does he mean? They didn't ask him directly. I'm, I don't know if Jesus would have answered them if they did. But he, here Peter, the close follower and friend, uh, asks. And Jesus gives him a most direct answer. <laughs> Where I go, you cannot follow. Or again, where's he going? I'm going to a place you can't follow. He's kind of being a little bit vague. But the important part is he did say, you 
will follow me later. Now, the, uh, but, but the thing is, Jesus knew that he really couldn't come out and say, well, I'm going to go die. That's where I'm going to go. Because could you imagine the emotional head blowing, <laughs> the emotional trauma that the disciples would have had to have gone through? I mean, would they suddenly be defensive and be uh, an entourage of bodyguards, watchful with swords in their hands? I'm sure they, especially Peter, would have. Uh, and Jesus didn't want that. He didn't need that. He knew what he came to do, and he knew it would lead in death, and he knew he had to do it. And he had to be purposely vague. Um, in verse 37. Listen to Simon Peter. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for your sake. You see, he seized on that word, the word that a child would seize on. And he says, I'll lay down my life for thy sake. And that man was honest when he said that. He was sincere. He meant every word of it. And that night he got a sword. He used it. He attempted to fight for his Lord that night. Oh, he only took off an ear, but that was because he was a fisherman and not a soldier. He really went after the other fellow's neck, but he only got his ear. But he was sincere. When he said that, now Lord told him the frightful thing, that that night he was to deny him. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. You know, Peter, his desire is strong. He, he, wants, he wants to not be separate from Jesus. He doesn't want it to be a part. But do any of us. I would rather be with Jesus than anybody. Um, but uh, why can't I stay with you? Um, but sometimes, despite our strongest desire, we always underestimate how strong our willpower is. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do it. I'm going to determine to not eat any more cookies until the next cookie calls my name. <laughs> I have no willpower. Uh, anyway, our willpower, I mean, we think willpower. We think willpower is strong. And we can just, you know, be determined and be stubborn and, and fight our way to the end. But our willpower is not nearly as durable as we think it is. Uh, finally, verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, definitely a prophecy that shows just how well Jesus knows the difference between our best intentions and our weak nature. Uh, it's a foreshadowing course of things to come uh, we know very well uh, what happens to Peter uh, which won't happen for a few more chapters uh, but it's a it's a warning Jesus is like no you know, I understand I know <laughs> patty one head but I'm telling you you will deny me Jesus answered him will you lay down your life for my sake verily verily I say unto thee the cock shall not 
crow till thou shalt, sorry, till thou hast denied me thrice, three times. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Within this time period. I guarantee you, when Peter said what he said, he meant it. He believed it. He thought that it was true that he would, he would die for Jesus. But he was not as close to Jesus as he thought he was. And I want to end with this question. Are we as close to Jesus as we think we are? Are we willing to suffer for his sake? Later, after everything was said and done, Peter was definitely willing and did suffer and die for the sake of Christ. But at this point in his life, he was not as close as he thought he was. We need to do a gut check to make sure that we are where we need to be in our spiritual lives and in our love for Christ and in our love for each other. Now, here's a little tidbit uh, I've discovered through reading a few commentaries is the the cock crow is it actually referred to the period of the night watch. We would call it the graveyard shift from about midnight to three. Uh, and uh, it was just the name of that shift. So the shift would not end before Peter would deny him. And so we're talking about there's at three o'clock, there's still three hours to go before sunrise. And so well before sunrise, I mean, Peter wouldn't make it through the night without denying him three times, uh, which is sad, but it is such an accurate picture of our own weak willpower. Uh, we want to think that wouldn't be us, but it wouldn't really be us. Uh, anyway, that is uh, all I got for today. And as mentioned earlier, uh, this is just the beginning, a preface, as you will, uh, to chapter 14 and the events to come. So I will leave it there, and uh, we'll see you next time. Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. How's everybody doing this morning? Nice morning here in Arizona. I'll keep us in prayer. I'll keep you guys in prayer. Uh, this is Pastor Dominic Romaldi, Street Talk Theology. We take theology and we bring it to the streets. God bless God. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Romaldi. 
you can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God. All right. Well, uh, there is our show for today, and I am hoping I can get this posted in time. I am actually behind schedule as I have pieced it together and uh, get, getting this uh, part recorded. Uh, if I'm late, it's just because uh, my uh, work schedule has greatly uh, changed, and uh, so we may have to rethink how often that we can continue uh, getting uh, episodes out uh, for you, the listener, to enjoy. Well, hey, this is where I would like to wrap it all up anyway here and say, host Keith signing off. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend about us. That's how we really do grow our audience the most. And hey, you know what? We'll see you next week. And look here, Anthony Russo is coming to tell you all about how to find us and follow us on the web. Take it away, Anthony. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music on the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a savior. Thanks for listening.